Everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and Major League Soccer is upon us. The 2022 season kicks off this weekend, and that means it's time to do some previewing in what I'm going to assume is going to be abbreviated and hectic fashion. To do so, I'm joined by two fine gentlemen. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for being here, my friend. Of course, Taylor. I'm pumped. I kind of can't believe that the season is starting again on Saturday. I feel like I was just freezing my tail off at Providence Park, but here we go, baby. Yeah, have you fully, like, defrosted since that game? Thankfully, yeah. I mean, living in Arizona does have its perks in that regard, for sure. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, Joe, I'm going to ask you both this question. We'll get to our other co-host in a minute, but he is staying silent, as he should be. Uh, (laughs) Joe, uh, I'm guessing you were probably the most prepared to do this show of any of the three of us. On a scale of, like, 1 to 10, how prepped were you? How much did you feel like you knew before you started researching? And how are you feeling after all of your researching? I mean, I think I knew a good bit, not to toot my own horn before we started. I definitely learned things along the way. The the things that I feel like I learned most, so I'll give myself a a seven on preparation beforehand. I feel like I could have BSed my way through a little bit and and gotten through without needing notes. But the things I learned most that hopefully got me up to a, a nine or so are about some of these new signings because there's lots of new players coming into the league I've spent time watching players moving within the league and and some of the outgoing transfers, of course, out of MLS. But some of these new signings are are players that I'm not as familiar with. So I appreciated having the excuse to go through and watch some film on some of those guys. So what was your, you ended up, did you end up with a nine or a 10 in your preparation? I'm going to say a nine and you guys can be the judge of whether or not I'm a 10 or not. All right. So Joe's at a nine. Graham Ruthven, thank you for staying respectfully silent. But now you can say hello. (laughs) Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you almost made it. You almost made it. Uh, Graham, same question to you, uh, because I'll speak for myself. I think if we had like recorded this impromptu, I probably could have BSed my way through. But man, would I have said some inaccurate things. So how prepped were you before this? And how are you feeling now? So I think for, for most teams in the league, I had a headline of what mm-hmm. they've done over the offseason. So yep. for instance, the Revs, spoiler alert, you know, they've added some experience. Chicago, they've basically rebuilt entirely. So I did have an idea of what's what had gone on, but in in terms of in depth knowledge, no, I was I was down at like a three or a four, and that tends to be the way for me with with MLS because the season, the European season, is is you know in the, in the midst of the European season, and so what tends to happen is I get to about a week before the start of the season, I go, ah, oh, no, MLS is starting this weekend, I better <laughs> catch up with all that stuff. So uh, yeah, I've got some preview. I did a preview piece for for the Guardian last week, and I've got some predictions this week coming out as well. But before the last week, uh, yeah, I'd kind of switched off my MLS brain a little bit. It has both been the longest and the shortest off season I can ever remember. Yeah. It's a weird one. But I am genuinely excited that it, that it's back um, this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, Graham. Uh, uh, I appreciate you mentioning the long off season. Did you see the the supposed quote? I don't know if he actually said it from Neymar yesterday about why Major League Soccer appeals. <laughs> the two things are related. Yeah, he because he wants three months yep. of vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That feels that feels right. That feels right. Uh, Neymar has not joined uh, Major League Soccer, at least at time of recording. We have 28 teams this season. We've got 14 in the East. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, I personally feel like I, uh, I think Joe did the assigning. I feel like I either got teams that could challenge for MLS Cup or teams that will finish bottom of the East. And no, 
sort of intermediate between. Joe, uh, do you have? Do you feel like you've got a title challenger on your list? Um, I'm scrolling through my list now, Taylor. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I think the answer is no. Not looking good. <laughs> Not looking good. All right, Graham, you? Yeah, yeah. I think I've got one of the front runners. Okay. Yeah, and, right. I th- and I've got another another club that I've done some interesting stuff that's either going to go really, really well mm-hmm. or really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. That's a good place to start a nice little tease. Here is how we're going to try to do this. Uh, as I said, 14 teams means it's a lot to be discussed. We have each broken this up and researched some specific teams. We're going to do a catch-up on where they are, what they've been doing, new coach, new players, change in tactics, whatever it might be. And then we'll do some specific predicting as well. We're going to have three minutes, roughly, maybe four minutes per team. I'm going to try to start a timer. We're going to steal this from extra time to keep us on track, specifically to keep me on track. I have started the timer. I'm going to start talking about Atlanta United now. My summary of Atlanta would be loaded with talent and lots of depth, but also somehow lacking depth. Because they have Joseph Martinez, then there's some question marks about who backs him up. They've got Franco and Robinson as their center backs. Their number three would be George Campbell, who's 20 years old from Atlanta United 2. They've got center midfield depth when everyone is healthy, but not so much to start the season. Keep that in mind when we get to my predictions. When last we saw them, uh, they had a strange 2021 season. They start off with Gabriel Hince, who I will admit I thought was going to be the greatest success of all time when it came to Atlanta United coaching. I was very much wrong. Gonzalo Pineda takes over, uh, finished fifth in the East. They lost to NYCFC in the first round of the playoffs. Top goal scorer, Joseph Martinez. Top assist getter, Ezekiel. Ezekiel Barco, one of those two men is still there. Ezekiel Barco has left. He's gone to River Plate. George Bello has left for Bielefeld. Franco Escobar to LAFC. Anton walks to Charlotte. So they have had a few outgoing transfers, several incoming as well. Uh, chief amongst them would be Tiago Amada. Uh, 16 year old, 16 million, not 16 years old. That would be a different story. $16 million uh, attacker from Vela Sarsfield. He will be the Barco replacement. Uh, much contro- controversy around his signing. You can read a great piece uh, from Felipe Cardenas about that one on The Athletic. Uh, Luis Araujo, uh, excuse me, uh, Araujo, I've learned. is yeah. how you pronounce it when you're Brazilian. Uh, Araujo, <laughs> uh, first full season with the team. 12 million transfer from Lille. Ronald Hernandez will be a, the right back made permanent. Andrew Gutman is, I guess, an incoming player in the sense that he was on loan with the Red Bulls last season, uh, but has looked so good so far in preseason and is very likely to replace George Bello as their starting left back. Caleb Wiley also in that conversation, 17 years old, academy signing. What these moves mean is that Atlanta is likely, in my mind at least, to go from a 3-4-3 that we saw them in for large chunks of last season to more of a 4-3-3 with a lot of fluidity in there and how they're going to play. But we've got some issues with how that might line up because the midfield, as I said previously, is not quite fit, not quite as stacked as they would like. Santiago Sosa, who's an important central midfielder for them, still recovering from sports hernia surgery that he had in December, January. Uh, We've got Emerson Heinemann still recovering from his ACL. Neither of them will be ready to start. So that leaves uh, Mateus Rosetto, excuse me, Rosetto, another Brazilian or Portuguese speaker, a talented number eight central midfielder, Franco Ibarra, 20-year-old box-to-box midfielder. Uh, Amer Saidic are, are also possibilities. But, gentlemen... We have Ozzy Alonso's music. That's right. (laughs) Oswaldo Alonso is in there. He is a man who played with uh, Gonzalo Pineda and was coached by him in Seattle. And I think he will be the starter early. So I have a couple predictions for you. My first general prediction for Atlanta... I think they're going to start slow. I think they're going to finish strong. I think they've got some pieces to figure out, and they and they still got to figure out what their best eleven is going to be with some of those absences. 
Maybe that means a few losses, a few draws early on, but I think they pick it up from there. I think Ozzy Alonso will be a big part of that team in the opening couple months, and that's why my first specific prediction, Ozzy Alonso will be in at least one team of the week in the opening two months of the season, because I think he will be a central veteran figure for them both literally and figuratively, uh, and I think he'll be key to their the way they want to play, how they want to see out games. My other specific prediction, as I'm running out of time, Luis Araujo will finish in the top 10 for successful dribbles. He was 37th last season, despite only playing 15 games, 13 starts, but 1,100 minutes played, 38 of uh, 61 dribbles attempted, means he averaged about three successful dribbles per 90 minutes. I think Atlanta will use him wide. I think they'll keep him in isolation and use him in transition. He's got wheels. He's good in 1v1s. So I think he will have uh, a massive amount of dribbles, top 10 in the league. And that is my Atlanta United preview. Whew. All right. Taylor, I, yeah. I love it, man. That, that, was, that was great. I love I want to add on. I don't know how much time I have, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, you mentioned dribbling there is for, for Luis Araujo. That is going to be the theme, I think, of Atlanta United this season, or at least one of the themes under Gonzalo Pineda. In Almada, in Araujo, in Marcelino Moreno, who I don't believe you mentioned, but is another piece in the attack for Pineda. Those three players, their primary attribute is dribbling, which could make this team incredibly fun in transition and also have the potential to be incredibly frustrating in possession. I mean, they don't have someone who's really going to split lines with passing, don't have someone who's really going to create and set up others necessarily. Maybe that guy is Almada, and and what I've seen and read about him is, is not necessarily true. But I have questions about how all of that is going to mesh in the attack. Yep. But, oh, man, it's going to make them fun on the break. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interchanging between uh, Moreno and Almeida. Uh, and that's part of why I think they'll start a little bit slow as they figure out how those rotations are supposed to work. And then I think they'll hit the ground and score some goals. But that's plenty on Atlanta United, or at least plenty enough for this show. Joe, tell us about Charlotte. Charlotte FC, baby, MLS's newest expansion team, Ryan Bailey FC, really is what we should be calling them here, guys. Correct. Their arrival into the Eastern Conference moved Nashville SC over to the West, so Nashville fans will get to you guys tomorrow. Key departures for this team and key arrivals. Key arrivals, pretty much everybody, including head coach Miguel <laughs> Angel Ramirez, just 37 years old, the youngest coach in Major League Soccer, has coached in Spain, Greece, Qatar, Ecuador, Brazil. Um, and he is the man behind the famous we're screwed or really we're effed <laughs> quote that was making the rounds on Twitter yeah. when he referred to his own roster, which I'm inclined to believe is entirely fair. Uh, they have some talent in central midfield, like re- real talent in those spaces with Sergio Ruiz and Alan Franco and, and Jordi Asavar. But I have concerns about the left back spot, goalkeeper, really all three spots in the front line. I have concerns about how they've built this squad and and maybe not relying a whole lot on key additions from within Major League Soccer and even some of the additions they made from outside the league. They don't have a ton of really high profile players. One of the highest profile players they've had. Riley McGree, who they picked up uh, from a, a team in Australia, they then sold before we'd ever played a game for Charlotte FC and sold in Middlesbrough in England. So it's going to be interesting to monitor this Charlotte team. I don't really have all that high expectations for them. But, guys, I do think they have some potential to play good soccer. I think they'll keep possession in a 4-3-3. That is Ramirez's MO. You know, He likes to hold the ball, positional play, quick passing, rotations, all of those kinds of things. Will they be able to create chances? I 
don't know. I'm not sold on that. We will find out the answer to that question as the season goes on. I think we could be looking at an Austin FC situation in, in some regards here. One player to watch for me, someone I haven't mentioned so far, is Karol Swiderski, a Polish number nine, designated player for Charlotte. He's a Poland international, so he has some pedigree. He's played in Poland and Greece, gets call-ups for the national team, as I mentioned. Left-footed, kind of lanky. If you squinted, you'd be forgiven for thinking that it might be Adam Buksa and not Swiderski that you're watching. Uh, he tends to hang around the box from what I've seen. And, and this guy could hit, and he could score a bunch of goals if Charlotte can create for him. And I, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. So my, my very specific prediction here, I'm trying to be somewhat positive but also grounded in this prediction as well. So here it is. I will tweet, me, Joe Lowry, speaking in the third person now for some reason, I will tweet at least three clips of Charlotte's lovely possession play, but each of those clips will end without a shot. I know I can sort of tailor this prediction and make it happen on my own because I'm the one tweeting, but still, the point of this prediction (laughs) is... I think this team is going to play some pretty nice soccer, like Austin did last year under Josh Wolf, and like I think Austin will this year as well. But I'm not convinced that they have the quality or the attacking firepower or even, guys, the defensive stability to play a lot of effective soccer this season. That's the contrast between pretty soccer and effective soccer. I think Charlotte will go out and get more talent. They've been looking for a winger in the transfer market. They've been looking for someone high profile in that spot. But I don't see their current winger really attacking pool of Jordi Reyna and Titi Ortiz and, and Mackenzie Gaines as being dangerous enough to really get this attack humming. There's my, is that the, the bell? That was your my, bell. My timer's running Sort out. of, yeah. But I'm, I'm done, so this is good. Okay. So I, I think Charlotte's going to do a lot of fun things on the field. That's going to lead me to tweet about them because I like to, to tweet about fun soccer. But I don't know how good they're going to be at actually scoring goals and creating chances. I'd love to be wrong, um, but, but that's how I'm thinking about this team right now. Joe, I know that uh, Twitter can be a bit hyperbolic at times, uh, and I think that's what I've relied upon when it comes to the way Charlotte have built their organization, built their team. And so I, I guess the larger question for me is, like, has it been as kind of all over the place as it seems as an outsider? Or do you feel like there is more of a structure, there is more of a plan to the way they built out this roster? It has been a little strange. I mean, it seems like the team initially was looking to sign a lot of players from areas that Zoran Cronetta, um, the the general manager, I'm not actually sure what his official title is, but but the guy who's really responsible for building this roster initially, it looked like they were looking for players in his areas. And then when Ramirez comes in, it looks like they've shifted more towards South America. Some of the moves they made in the expansion draft, I thought were really puzzling. So yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of strange things going on with this team, and I'm just curious to see how it's all going to play out on the field. All right, so... Curious how it's going to work for Charlotte. Also curious how it's going to work for Chicago. Graham Ruthven, take it away. Thank you. Chicago Fire, the only (laughs) team in MLS that if you Google, you get a TV series instead of any results about the actual (laughs) team. Uh, Let's do a quick recap of uh, Chicago Fire in 2021. I think it's fair to say that 2021 was a bad slash disappointing year for the Fire. They finished 12th in the Eastern Conference. That's a a long way adrift of of the playoff places. Raphael uh, Wicke, the, the Swiss coach who arrived In 2019, with a pretty uh, serious pedigree, he was fired in late September after missing out in the playoffs, and it just added to that sense in the second half of the season at the fire that they were building towards. This year, this year, is now here, and I think it's fair to say that there's been a lot of upheaval at at the Chicago Fire in that off-season. For one thing, they have a new badge, a very nice badge, by the way, one of the best in MLS, if if you ask me, designed by Matthew Wolfe, who's designed a lot of the the recent uh, club crests in MLS. He's very good at his job. And they have a new squad as well to go with that new badge. 13 players left the, the club at the end of the of last season. They have a new coach. As I say, Raphael Wicke leaves the, the club in September. 
Um, in Wiki's place is Ezra Hendrickson um, as the, the permanent appointment. Obviously, they had an interim between Wiki and, and Hendrickson. So Hendrickson is a coach who has earned himself quite a reputation as a, as a good assistant at a number of MLS clubs over the course of his career. He was uh, Siggy Schmidt's longtime assistant. He worked alongside him at Seattle and then with the Galaxy. And then he's recently worked with Caleb Porter at, uh, at the Columbus Crew. This is his first senior management job at MLS level. And it has come quite late in his career, Hendrickson and his fifth, obviously not an old man, but in terms of getting your your first uh, senior management job, that is that is quite late to to get that that position. But he is highly thought of as a coach, and I think it's fair to say that he has served his time and, and deserves a, a chance in the top job. So while um, I think it's fair to say nobody really knows what to expect from Hendrickson, he uh, he's he is highly thought of. So um, he has made a number, or the club has made a number of. Uh, Interesting additions, shall we say, over the off season. So, uh, Shabalko was was signed from Philadelphia, but in terms of the profile of this squad, Chicago didn't really have anyone to get the ball to him. So, Zerdan Shakiri, the Power Cube, or, or the one and only Power Cube, he's arrived from <laughs> Leon. The hope is that Shakiri is going to be that player that gets the ball to Shabalko, and and um, yeah, I think it's fair to say Shakiri is one of the most intriguing signings in the league this season. But more on that a little bit later. Um, some more additions: Rafael Sikos, a centre back with uh, Bundesliga experience. He's expected to be a, a bit of a defensive leader for this team for the Fire. He's been signed from Cologne in in Germany. Jairo Torres has been signed as a young designated player from Atlas. Um, and I think the hope is that he will give the fire some some threat on the wings. In terms of how they're going to play, as I say, it's a little bit up in the air because Hendrickson is a bit of a, an unknown, but in pre-season games, they have been playing in a 4-2-3-1. Um, that midfield duo that they, they already had in place of Jimenez and Navarro, they can complement each other really well, and I think that will give this team a, a decent platform. Uh, and especially when you have them in behind Shakiri, I am aware of the bell. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think I don't think there's any doubt that the Chicago Fire squad is more talented than it was last season. Yeah. But there is there is a public acceptance that has come from Hendrickson that it's not quite done yet. This rebuild's not quite done yet. There's a a couple more spots to fill in this team, and I think there will be more activity over the the course of the year. Um, I have to talk about Shakiri a little bit more. I know the bell <laughs> has fine. rung, but I have to. I have to talk about yeah. Shakiri. I'm just very excited to see what he he's going to do in MLS yes fitness might be an issue for him he hasn't played all that much recently but if Chicago can get him on the pitch he could be the player through which their entire attack flows and it seems like he's going to be that central attacking midfielder in that 4-2-3-1 shape he is capable of moments of brilliance we've seen that all the way through his career he's still a first team figure for Switzerland one of the best international teams around so if Chicago get him rolling I think he's going to be uh, difficult to stop and my my very specific prediction is related to Shakiri. so um, I think Shakiri will score, this isn't actually my prediction, but I think he's going to score more regular season goals than Shabilko because of the way this team is going to be set up to harness him as a goal scorer rather than a creator. But I, I also think uh, that over half of Shakiri's goals are going to come from either the edge of the box or outside of the box. He's a, he has a 14% conversion rate with shots from outside the box over the course of his career, which is kind of nuts. Like, I know that doesn't sound that 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 high, but in, in context, that is a very high conversion rate. So that is my VSP for this season for the fire. One more time, what was it, Graham? It was that, uh, well, it's kind of two-parted. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Shakiri is uh, going to score over half of his goals from, from outside the box and that he's going to score more goals than Shabilko for the fire this season. 
All right. I like that one quite a bit. That is the Chicago Fire. I will start the timer for myself to talk about FC Cincinnati. Yeah. When last we saw them, they were winning the wooden spoon again. They were 4-8-22 and 22 under Yapstam last season, last in the Eastern Conference, the third straight time they've achieved that feat. Stam and his two assistants were fired in September, and that means we've got newbies taking over. They hired uh, Chris Albright, former uh, Philly uh, technical director. He is their new general manager. That's his first time in that role. And they hired Pat Noonan as manager, long-term assistant for the Galaxy and for the Union. Uh, so we've got two assistants in charge, one in Chicago, one in Cincinnati. But now they're head coaches, and we'll see what happens. Pat Noonan has learned from other head coaches what not to say that is. We've talked about this with national team coaches where they overpromise, underdeliver. Other coaches take note. Here is Pat Noonan. There will be no guarantees. Our goal is to start to get the right pieces in place to move this team forward in the product on the field, having an identity, and getting the culture right to prepare us for future success. There is no timeline on that, end quote. So, it's going to be a slow build, would be the expectation, but they have started that build. Alec Khan arrives from Atlanta United. American goalkeeper, he makes them instantly better. I think Matt Doyle was saying that he makes them 8 to 10 points better automatically. Um, and goalkeeper has been an issue for them since their inaugural season. They brought in Gustavo Vallecilla from, uh, from Ecuador. He's a center back for about a million dollars. On freeze, they got Tyler Blackett, Alvis Powell, Dominic Baggi, Kyle Scott, and John Nelson. The expectation with how they'll play is that it's going to be something akin to what Jim Curtin does in Philly. So 4-4-2 diamond. And that is kind of an issue because that is not what Cincinnati was doing in the past. They were playing with wingers. They were playing with wingbacks. They were playing with a lot of attackers. And that means, by my count, they have, I believe, four to five central midfielders on the entire roster, including uh, Harris Madunyanin, who's 36. He'll be 37 in March. He is their number six. Alan Cruz and Yaya Kubo as their eights. Lucho Acosta as the ten. Do not have a ton of midfield depth. They do have a lot of depth up top. They've got four wingers and six forwards for... Two positions, basically. So they're going to have to find some creativity. That is a general prediction. They're going to have different people playing in different positions than they are used to, because I think they will have to. One player who will be playing in a slightly more familiar position is Brandon Vasquez. I think he will start up top in uh, as one of those front two. I have him uh, partnering Brazilian Brenner uh, and maybe Dominic Baji in there as well. Brenner does not yet have his uh, green card or his visa that he needs to get into the country. He's waiting on that. It's been approved but not received. So he has missed all of preseason. I don't think he will be there to start the regular season, or even if he is, I don't think he'll be at full fitness. So that means it's probably Baji and uh, Vasquez. Vasquez. And that is where Brandon Vasquez originally played. He's 23 years old now, signed by Atlanta United originally in their inaugural season, was a striker. Tata moved him out wide, and that's where he's been playing, but only had four goals and three assists and 31 appearances. That sounds wholly unimpressive. Uh, That was last season. He had four goals, three assists, and 31 appearances. Until you realize that he only started four games, he only had 828 minutes total. So four goals in 828 minutes. Brenner had eight goals in about 2,800 minutes. And so I think what we're going to see is maybe a lot of defenses focusing on Brenner when he's back. But I think that will free up some space for Brandon Vasquez. So I think he will double both his goals and assists from last season. Four goals, three assists last season. I'm saying minimum of eight goals this season, minimum of six assists this season for FC Cincinnati, who still have many, many question marks about them. Gentlemen, any questions on FC Cincinnati or should we keep it moving?
We'll keep I it have moving. Many That's... questions about Cincinnati, but we should keep it moving. Yeah, <laughs> we will keep it moving. That silent smoke volumes. Joe Lowry, take us to Columbus. Columbus time, ladies and gentlemen. They finished ninth in the Eastern Conference last season, missed the playoffs just one season after winning MLS Cup on their home field. They had a few players that are pretty well-known in Columbus leave the club this offseason. Abubakar Keita was traded to the Colorado Rapids. Harrison Offal is now on Charlotte's roster. And Milton Valenzuela is probably the the most high-profile, at least from a talent perspective. Very good left-back for them is now in Switzerland. So to replace some of those guys and to add depth in other areas, they brought in a a couple of potential new starters. One in Ya Yiboa, a winger, 24-year-old Ghanaian coming over from Poland. I was texting Jordan Angeli a little bit about this and trying to get the read on some of these players. And she mentioned that Yaboa is a, is a pretty solid connector. I haven't seen a ton of him in preseason yet, but he might bring some things on the wing for Columbus. And then another uh, potential starter for them, Milos Dejenek, uh, center back, 27-year-old Australian coming over from Red Star, Belgrade. I'm curious to see how he's in, going to integrate into this group. And then a couple players that, are, uh, that, that have been on the roster for Columbus before but are more or less new signings for this season because of injuries. One is Artur. He's been playing some in preseason after missing most of last season with a hernia injury and multiple surgeries. He's a starter for them if he's fit. He is one of the best central midfielders in Major League Soccer. And another one, uh, Aiden Morris, 20-year-old American, played really well in MLS Cup when the Columbus crew won it a couple of years ago, tore his ACL then the next season, the last season in CCL with Columbus, and is now working his way back from that injury. He's not 90 minutes fit from what I've read right now, but he should be able to give them some real depth and ability off the bench and some spot starts this season. Under Caleb Porter, I, I don't think we're going to see a ton change tactically this season. I expect we'll see a lot of a 4-2-3-1 with things revolving around Lucas Zellerian, who is their star number 10. But Caleb Porter has talked about how they're, quote, tinkering with a couple different systems, unquote, outside of that 4 2 to fill in the gaps there. So we might see a couple of different shapes at times from the crew, but I want to be clear, different systems and what, what Porter means there does not mean really changing the tactics or the tactical approach. They're not going to press a ton this year. I'd be highly surprised if they did. They're still going to try to be possession heavy, and, and I think really the only change might be in the specific positional alignment that we see one player to watch for me from Columbus. I mentioned Zellerian, but he's not the one I want to highlight here. The one I want to highlight is Miguel Berry. Taylor, you went with a, a domestic striker. I'm going with a domestic striker here, at least as, as a part of my preview. He put up some phenomenal numbers last season, Barry, in his 850 minutes filling in for Giassi Zardes. My question is, can he do that again? The numbers are, are so, so good with Barry. Uh, the, the sample size is pretty darn small. So I'm curious to see if he can get into this group and really play and maybe even seize if not seize that nine spot, make Jossie Zardes' life a little more challenging and really compete for that spot. I think that those players, and this is going to be my BSP, that Miguel Berry and Jossie Zardes will score a combined 30 goals this year, which is pretty ambitious for a, a starting number nine, a lone nine in a 4-2-3-1, and then a, really a backup nine in Miguel Berry. I hear it, I hear it, I hear the bell. But <laughs> I, I, think, I think that based off of how this crew roster is built, the scoring has to come from the number nine. And if not the number nine, then Zelrayan as that 10. I don't see many goals coming from wide areas, which is why I think if the crew are going to have a good season, and I don't know if they will or not, I have them right now as sort of a fringe playoff team, I think production has to come from that nine spot. So that's why I'm highlighting Barry and Jossie's art as two number nines that I like a lot. I think they'll combine to score 30 goals this season. All right. Lovely stuff from Joe Lowry. Five teams down, a whole bunch more still to go. So we're going to take a break. We're going to catch our wind, catch our breath. Not our wind. We're going to catch our breath, and then we'll be back. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. I'm guessing you never left. We are still previewing the Eastern Conference of Major League Soccer, and that means Graham Ruthven is up with my own, my beloved, DC United. Okay, so quick recap with DC United. 2021, they finished just outside the playoff places in the Eastern Conference. One point outside the playoff places, to be exact. However, last season was about revamping a pretty unbalanced squad and putting a, a winning f- philosophy into that team. Uh, DC hadn't had that for a long time, and I guess Hernan Lasada did achieve that to a certain extent. This season, DC United need to take the next step in their development. They need to become a playoff team in 2022. Do I think they're going to do that? Mm, undecided on that one. I don't <laughs> think the exit of two important players is going gonna, is gonna to help them in that regard, and those two c- uh, players are... Paul uh, Ariola and Kevin Paredes, who obviously we have spoken a lot on the show uh, recently. Ariola traded to FC Dallas in the offseason for a league record trade of uh, $2, $2 million in GAM. Ariola, um, I don't know, in a tactical sense, maybe he wasn't the best fit for Lasada and the way he plays, but he is a quality player and he, and he has a big loss. Paredes, D- DC United sold him to uh, Wolfsburg in the offseason for $7 million. 
dollars, which is, a, as Joe Lowry would say, a hefty chunk of change. Uh, are you trademarked that <laughs> yet, Joe Lowry? I should. Uh, you should, yeah. So, yeah, that, that is a big fee. A lot of interest in him over the offseason from different clubs in Europe, and he was a, a key pl- part of how Decent United played last season. In terms of incoming transfers, Michael Estrada has arrived from Liga Meques. He has uh, 17 goals and 6 assists in 66 appearances for Toluca and 8 goals and 5 assists in 28 caps for Ecuador. So I think it's fair to say he's going to be a key member of that revamped DC United attack. Brad Smith, um, a familiar name to MLS fans, he's been signed from uh, the Seattle Sounders as a direct replacement for Paredes at left wing back. Is he going to be able to replace Paredes in terms of his attacking threat? I'm not so sure about that one. He can be fairly inconsistent in that regard. And then uh, a name that I am not familiar with how to say, Takicaris Fountas. His second name is Fountas, right? And he has <laughs> come from uh, Rapid Vienna. And, uh, or rather, he will come from Rapid Vienna later this year. He has not quite arrived at DC United yet. He's got uh, 45 goals and 21 assists in 90 appearances for Rapid Vienna. So he should bring a lot of attacking productivity to Losada's team. I just need to learn how to say his uh, his first name. Uh, it's quite a tricky one. In terms of how DC United will play, Losada t- likes to set up his team in a back three with wing backs. Those wing backs are pretty crucial to what they do as a side. Last season, uh, they had Paredes on the left. Now he's gone. Then they had uh, Andy Nahar and Julian Gressel on the right side as well. The issue with Nahar isn't really his talent, it's his fitness. So um, I guess a lot of DC United's uh, progression down that right side depends on whether he can he can stay fit. Um, and I think Lasada he asks a lot from his players. You know, they play a high-intensity game and I do wonder if, if that's sustainable over a whole season. DC United were pretty poor down the stretch last, last season. That ultimately, ultimately cost them a playoff place. Is that going to be a similar problem for them this season? I, I think it's fair to suggest it might be. Um, but I think in an attacking sense, the new addition should ease some of the board burden on Ola Kamara. I had read reports that they were shopping him around a little bit, which is uh, interesting. It does, doesn't seem like maybe they've got someone coming in to replace him. Um, but yeah, the, the attacking additions provide some encouragement. In terms of a player to watch... Julian Gressel already mentioned him. You know, he is uh, super important to this team. Nine assists last season offers a lot of vertical threat, which pretty much epitomizes the profile of this DC United team. And then um, if you're looking at a player who might make the breakthrough or or rather take the next step after making the breakthrough last season, Moses Nyman, Mm -hmm. um, who is very highly thought of at DC United. I think people are hoping he might follow the Kevin Paredes path in becoming the next big thing. Maybe they sell him on for a big fee. But is he going to get more minutes this season? I think he has to if he's going to take that next step in his development. So there's a maybe not a big name to keep an eye on, but certainly an interesting player. And in my VSP for DC United, DC United last season, they finished last uh, the MLS season with the lowest average share of possession, 43.2%. I say that's going to happen again. I don't think they've added players who will help change that. I think their midfield options are pretty thin on the ground. And... Paul Ariola, you know, maybe he's not someone who obviously plays in that central midfield position, but he's someone that can absorb the ball and he is now gone. So if DC United aren't controlling games, I think it puts a lot of pressure on them to maintain their intensity and quick transition. Can they do that over the full season? Are they going to be more successful this season in doing that than they were last season? I'm not convinced. So I'm, my VSP is they're not going to better their uh, share of possession, which was the lowest in league already last season of 43.2%. 
percent. And I, I don't, I don't think they'll want to either, Graham. To your, kind of to your point there sure. about how Losada wants them to play, right? They want to be aggressive, they want to be in your face, and they want to play vertically. It's, it's Red Bull soccer, but at times in a slightly different shape or with slightly different personnel. I do have concerns like you about, you know, is it sustainable? It kind of feels like it maybe wasn't towards the end of last season. We don't know what'll happen with this group this year. But I also feel like they've they've downgraded in some spots on the field, yep. right? They don't have a ton of talent. And that, for me, is the biggest concern. I don't know how good Estrada's going to be. I'm not wowed by his numbers coming from Liga Mekis. And I don't know how good Fountas is going to be. And either way, he's not coming till the summer. So I have major questions about the talent in this group, maybe even more than I have questions about, you know, can they keep up with, with all the hard running? Because I like Hernan Losada. I like what he does. And certainly he, he transformed this team last year and actually gave them an identity which is something that they've lacked for, I would argue, a long time under Ben Olsen. So I think they're indebted to Lasada for what he's done, but I don't, I, I am not sold on this team right now, and I, I hope to be wrong as the season progresses. It, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a as a group of players that's ready to take the next step, as you right. say, Joe. In terms of individual quality, they have downgraded their squads, and so there's going to be a, there's going to have to be some players who unexpectedly unexpectedly stand up to make up that difference this season. Well, DC fans. If you're not feeling wholly optimistic about that preview, just know that it could be worse. You could be Inter-Miami, which is where we're going next. Inter-Miami, not an expansion team, but kind of functioning functioning like one ahead of their third season. Uh, because sanctions. Let's talk about those sanctions for a moment. Feels like they're getting kind of sidestepped in some of the conversations I've seen about the roster build. Here you go from MLS's site. The violations included the incorrect roster categorization for players like Blaise Matuidi and Andres Reyes, who should have occupied a designated player slot. The violations also included undisclosed agreements that resulted in the underreporting of salary budget amounts for players Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez, Nicolas Figal, and uh, Julian uh, Carranza. The penalties included a $2 million fine for the club, a $250,000 fine for managing owner Jorge Mas. Uh, Paul McDonough, Inter-Miami COO and sporting director, uh, has been suspended until the end of the season. Uh, MLS also imposed a reduction of around $2.2 million in allocation dollars for 2022 and 2023. Which has led to new sporting director Chris Henderson, or excuse me, sporting director Chris Henderson, uh, clearing house. 18 departures, 16 to 17 arrivals. It's a new team, basically. Departures would include Blaise Matuidi, the aforementioned. Rodolfo Pizarro is gone, but he continues to occupy a designated player spot because MLS. Lewis Morgan, also <laughs> gone. Very talented, but uh, Inter-Miami needed the money, so he was sold to the Red Bulls for $1.2 million in GAM. Uh, Gonzalez Perez and many, many others replacing them, or at least a few that are replacing them. Uh, Jean Mota, Brazilian central midfielder, signed from Santos. Uh, he will be instrumental this season, as will Leonardo Campagna, 21-year-old uh, attacker, 10 caps for Ecuador. And in defense... We've got some veterans. We've got Damian Lowe of Jamaica, who I love, and DeAndre Yedlin of the United States. I also love him. The major question for this season is that will it be a back five or a back four? Last season it was a back five, but that might have been by sort of necessity with some of the players they had. Might change this season, and part of that would be where do you put Gonzalo Higuain to get the best out of him because he is still the DP for Inter. Inter-Miami, that is, not Inter. Uh, Inter will sue if you conflate those two things. <laughs> More on where we think 
or where I think Iguain will go in a second, because I do want to talk about Jean Mota, uh, the player I mentioned previously. He and uh, I always want to say it's Gregor, but apparently it is Gregory, uh, will be the central midfield pairing. Gregory led the league in some key stats last season. He was third in tackles in the league, first in tackles won, first in pressures, first in yellows, and sixth in passes into the final third, meaning did a lot of defensive work, also did some creating, but there just was not enough creating for Inter-Miami. Not enough goals, especially for Gonzalo Higuain, who kept dropping deeper and deeper to try to make something happen, to try to facilitate attacking play. And it did not really work out. This season, my expectation would be that they're going to go with something more like a 4-2-3-1. Uh, maybe it's a 4-3-3 with uh, Uyoa staying deep as the holding midfielder, Mata, or Mata and Gregory ahead of them. But my guess is that we're going to see Iguain playing as more of a number 10 and Leonardo Campagna ahead of him as the kind of striker who draws the attention but also gets played in behind by Iguain. And that is where my specific prediction comes in. I am saying that Gonzalo Iguain will have the most assists on the team, but Leonardo Campagna will finish the season as top scorer. Uh, I think Iguain was top scorer and top assist getter for them last season, and I'm saying that he will his goal production will drop off, but I think his chance creation will increase because he'll have better parts around him and a more cohesive team around him. At least that is me uh, reading between the lines and maybe giving them a little bit of benefit of the doubt to Phil Neville and co. But that is Inter-Miami as I see them. Yeah, Taylor, I like that prediction a lot. I think Iguain, because of the the roster construction and the Mm -hmm. issues that they've gone through that you've detailed, is going to have to do a lot of the creating. And we saw last season, even if he is playing as a nine, he loves to drop in. He'll come and collect the ball deep. and, And maybe at times that's a hindrance to Miami because it messes with their timing and possession. But man, he's got quality to do some of that distribution from deeper areas as well. So I like that a lot. All right. So we'll see what happens with Inter-Miami. I think the predictions keeping them that, like, say they're going to be near the bottom of the East feel appropriate to me. Joe, what about Montreal? Montreal time. They finished 10th in the East last season. Not much in the way of key departures for this team, but I like some of their additions that they've made over this offseason. They traded for Alistair Johnson from Nashville SC. He'll be, I think, at least their starting right center back when the team really gets going this season. He didn't start their first CCL game. It's going to take time for, for some of these players to be integrated into the group, but he's a big addition. And then recently they added Kai Kamara up top. Major League Soccer legend, yet another striker option, uh, along with Romel Kyoto and Mason Toy. Wilfred Nance has depth. And, and speaking of Wilfred Nance, I liked so much of what he did with Montreal last season. They had a chance to make the playoffs on decision day. Couldn't beat Orlando to get that done. But he likes to set this team up in either a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, depending on the opposition. They'll go direct at times to avoid pressure, sure. But they are very capable of some nice combination play. We even saw this in CCL in their first competitive game of the season. Tons of, of rough play in that one. But man... They have quality and they want to combine. They want to play. They, they can use the wingbacks to, or Kyoto to get him behind, but they'll, they'll use the ball first and then they'll try to break through in, into that space behind the opposition. They had the sixth most possession in MLS last season. They weren't an elite attacking team in terms of production, but the building blocks felt like they were there for this group. So I'm curious to see if they can improve their chance creation and some of the effectiveness of their attacking play, improve their XG a bit this year, and become more dangerous in the final third In terms of players to watch for this Montreal team, and I think there's a lot, the right answer here is probably Georgi Mihailovic, especially for this audience. He finished 10th in the league in expected assists per 90 last year and finished with 17 combined goals and assists. Career year for him in his first season in Montreal. He had a great year. 
But my answer, my actual player to watch, the player that I always have my eyes glued on when I watch Montreal, is not Georgi Mihailovic. It's Kamal Miller, baby. Canadian international center back. He may be, fellas, my favorite player to watch in this entire league. He's a what? left center back in a back three. All right. Well, Taylor, this is, this is mostly my... My love for seeing center backs dribble the ball forward. Because ah, I don't are. think, other than Andy Nahar, who's, who's maybe equal to Kamal Miller, there aren't many center backs who are as aggressive on the ball as Kamal Miller is. He's a ball progression machine. He loves to dribble forward, take risks, and all that stuff. And I, I think he's wonderful to watch. And he, he kind of embodies this Montreal team in that they like to progress the ball in the dribble. They, they capable, they're capable of playing in possession. And they do some really fun stuff. I, I love watching this Montreal team, and I'm optimistic that listeners will enjoy watching them this season as well. My VSP is certainly tied to my Kamal Miller love. Here it is. Montreal will finish the year among the top three teams in the league in progressive carries. I'm going to define that term real quick before anybody gets confused. Progressive carries, according to FB Ref, are dribbles that advance the ball at least five yards or dribbles that move the ball into the box. I, I think that skill on the ball with players like Kamal Miller and, and Victor Wanyama, who I haven't mentioned yet, Georgi Mihailovic, Romel Kyoto, those players are, are very capable of driving the ball forward and, dis, and destabilizing opposing defensive blocks. I think that that maybe is the strength of this team. They finished 7th in the league in, in progressive carries last season. I think another year under Wilfred Nancy could really get this team humming, and I, I think they could be dangerous in 2022. I gotta say, my uh, my metal travel mug is really inconsistent when it comes to the dings it's giving off. I might have to find a, a bell for the Western Conference preview. But Joe, that is some great work from Montreal. Uh, any other points that you want to add in your final maybe twenty seconds? I, I really enjoy this team. If that's not clear go. right now, there's talent and there's American reasons to watch them. And George Mihailovic and Mason Toy, can he get fit and really be a part of this team? Fun wing backs, fun center backs, maybe a little weak in central midfield. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to watch this group in 2022. All right, that is Montreal. Grant Ruthven, take us to New England. First off, what do you make of their crest? You were a fan of Chicago's. Do you like the New England one as well? I do. I also like that that badge. There seems to have been a an, uh, a memo sent around the MLS clubs this season. Up your game with the with the crests. Uh, Columbus must have missed out on that memo. Oh. But uh, yes, I very much do like the New England Revolution badge. Uh, shall I just go straight into it? Yes, I have not started revolution? your clock yet. I wouldn't be that savage to you. <laughs> now I've started it. Okay, so Bruce Arena's New England Revolution. Last year, they won the Supporter Shield. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, that is the trophy that is given to the team with the most points in the regular season. Not only this, they were a record-breaking Supporter Shields, winner of the most points ever in a regular season. However, the Shield curse struck in the playoffs as they were knocked knocked out by eventual MLS Cup winners NYCFC in the conference semi-finals. So, while on one hand it was a highly, highly successful year for the Revs, you can't really say it wasn't a success for them, it did feel like that that team had more to, to give. They could have achieved more. It was there for them to, to win MLS Cup. So in that sense, they still do have a point to prove. There haven't been many changes at the Revs over the, the off-season, so uh, Tajon uh, Buchanan, he is gone, but the Revs knew that was happening for quite some time. The Revs will also lose Matt Turner in the summer when he finally warms up from that USMNT game and he makes the move to Arsenal. Um, so that's something that they will have to tackle midway through the season. In terms of signings, 
It's a lot of guys that Bruce Arena knows relatively well. Uh, he's added a lot of experience to this New England squad over the offseason. Sebastian Legette has swapped the, the LA Galaxy for the Revolution. He, he's obviously a, a proven MLS performer, should bring quite a bit of quality. Josie Altador has arrived from Toronto FC. Again, another player who we know can do the business in MLS. Um, injuries have been a problem for him in recent times, so there is definitely some risk there, but he gives the Revs a, another good option if they can get him on the pitch. And then there's Omar Gonzalez. So whether purposely or not, I think purposefully, given what we know about Bruce Arena, he has signed a lot of players that he knows well, players that he has worked with before. Um, and... With Gonzalez, just with like with uh, Altador, is he going to be used in rotation? Is he going to get the, the game minutes, become a first-team figure? I think there's a little bit of an unknown there. How do the Revs play? So, um, as I say, they've they've largely kept the same group together. So it's reasonable to assume that they will, they will play in much the same way. So the Revs last season were very, very fun to watch. Incredible attacking unit. Free-flowing free team. Uh, some of their players put up incredible numbers over the course of the season, looking at you, Carlos Hill. Um, they play with a diamond in the centre of the pitch, with Hill at, Hill at the tip, tip of that diamond. There is a chance, though, that... Arena goes with more bodies in the centre of the pitch this season and, and that might be designed to give them a better chance in the playoffs. It will theoretically allow them to control games against higher calibre op uh, oppositions, which is something that they have struggled with previously. They could switch to a 3-5-2, they could use a 4-3-3 a a or a 4-2-3-1. Keep in mind that New England are also in CCL contention. It feels like that is also there for them this season. The field is maybe not as strong as it has been in, in years gone by. So maybe Bruce Arena tweaks his style slightly to get more um, control in his team. Uh, player to watch, uh, Sebastian Leggett I'm going to go for. Just purely because we know this Revs team so well already and he is someone who's going to come into that team and and uh, you know he, the pressure will be on him to be the Buchanan replacement. Um, and then my VSP for the Revs, is, so this what this one's based on just a hunch more than anything else, okay? So that's my disclaimer before I provide my VSP. But the Revs, they averaged 14.6 shots per 90 last season. That was the fourth highest in, in all of MLS. My VSP is that this number will fall below 13.5 per 90, um, but that their average share of possession, which was 50.7 last season, will rise above 54. Now that might not sound a lot, but that will turn them from a mid-table team in terms of their possession to one of the top five in MLS. And I, my hunch is that Arena's going to tweak this team, particularly with uh, Buchanan gone now, and I think he's going to try and prepare this team for the playoffs a, a little bit earlier so that maybe they're slightly more pragmatic in terms of how they're trying to control games, and that will be illustrated in... I'm not saying they're not going to be a good attacking unit, but I think those their attacking numbers will drop slightly, and I think their possession numbers will go up slightly. Graham, if you had to predict it, which of those three signings you mentioned, the familiar signings, Legette, Altador, and Omar, which one do you think has the biggest impact for Bruce Arena and the Revs? I think it has to be Legette, right? Because obviously Buchanan is gone. There is a place in that team for him to, to fit in. He is, of of the three, is, is the one that maybe hasn't struggled with, with injuries and maybe hasn't tipped over into kind of the, the, the career decline that you would say Altidore and Omar Gonzalez certainly have, have experienced. So, yeah, I think Altidore and, and Omar Gonzalez have, have maybe been brought in to provide some depth. I'm not sure they're going to be first choice. Maybe over the course of the season, they, they do work their way into the team. Maybe Altidore does find fitness. Maybe Gonzalez forces his way into that defensive unit. But yeah, Leger is, is the one that I think everyone's looking at as the, as the kind of marquee addition. 
Uh, and Omar Gonzalez, we'll see what happens. I feel like he ends up being an, a coach, uh, an assistant coach, or an A coach, apparently, with Bruce Arena. I doubt he starts a ton of games this season. But again, we shall see. We shall see what happens with the Revs, and we'll definitely see what happens with NYCFC, the team that won MLS Cup instead of the New England Revolution. NYCFC returns 10 of 11 starters to a team that was first in the league in chances from possession, chances from pressing, and chances from set pieces. They're very good. They attack a lot. They score goals. They did lose a couple people, however. James Sands, the only starter, uh, unless you want to throw in Jesus Medina, up to you. Jesus Medina left as a free agent. He's playing in Russia. James Sands sold to Rangers or loaned to Rangers with an option to buy their first ever homegrown. Not going so great for him. Maybe that turns around. I'm guessing it will. Ismael Tajiri Shradi was taken to the expansion draft, so he is no longer there. And they haven't really done that much business in terms of arrivals, but we do have a designated player that's a center back, y'all. It's happened. Tiago Martins signed from Yokohama F. Marinos in Japan. That is a city football group sister club, or they're under that umbrella. He is reinforcement for the loss of Sands in the sense that he will give some defensive stability to this team, but also there is an, a ton of depth behind uh, usual starting center backs, Alexander Collins and Maxime Cheneau. It still feels like it should be Cayennes, but whatever. Uh, so I think basically he gives them some coverage in defense, does Tiago Martins. There's a couple Tiago's in this team, so try to keep track of that as best you can. I would say the biggest offseason move was holding on to Tati Castellanos, 23-year-old attacker, 19 goals, 8 assists last season, courted by uh, Palmeiras and uh, River Plate, amongst many, many others, and it does feel like maybe he will be gone in the summer, but for now, they have kept hold of him, and that is excellent because he leads that line and scores their goals, usually in a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, depending how you want to define it. Uh, he leads the line. He was without uh, Eber as a capable backup last season. He was out with injury still recovering from uh, I believe his ACL only played seven games last year but will have a bigger impact this season I would assume uh, Anton Titterholm not yet ready to play so Tavon Gray will start uh, at right back again uh, and with that said we've got a very solid team we don't necessarily have a ton of proven goal scoring. Uh, when you look at what they did last year, uh, I think it was Tati Castellanos had 19, Medina had 9, Tajiri Shradi had 7. That's 35 goals. They only scored 55 in all of the season, which means 64% of goals came from three players, one of whom is no longer there. So the major question for NYCFC... And Rani Dyla is can uh, Santi Rodriguez, uh, Talas Magno, Eber, and Tiago Andrade step up? Uh, and I think they can, because we've seen Santiago Rodriguez look very good. We know Maxi Morales can be very good. He has been re-signed. And then there's a ton of excitement around some of those younger attackers. And my prediction is that uh, Tati Castellanos will score fewer goals this season than last season, which is kind of a cheap out because he's likely going to leave in the summer, which makes it very less likely that he gets 18 in the next <laughs> couple months, but still. Uh, I think he will score fewer, but I think Santi Rodriguez, Talas Magno, Eber, and Tiago Andrade will combine to double their total goal output for last season. Between those four players, it was nine goals and one assist. Who cares about assists? They're going to be scoring goals. They don't need assists. I think NYC NYCFC is going to rely on them to come good. Santi is 21. Talas Magno is 18. Tiago Andrade is 20. So I think between those three and Eber added to it, we're going to get at least 18 goals from the other very exciting attackers for NYCFC. In my final 20 seconds, I'll just add, 
Everything else, still pretty similar. You still got Keaton Parks in there. Alfredo Morales likely to partner him in central midfield. Uh, Acevedo is a capable deputy if they need it. Uh, And Sean Johnson rounds it out in goal. It's going to be another strong season. And NYCFC could make a deep run into MLS Cup, could make a deep run into CONCACAF Champions League as well. That is NYCFC previewed. We're going to take one more break and be back with our final four clubs in the East. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Four clubs still to come. But first, Graham, you had a slightly catty uh, specific prediction (laughs) that you didn't mean to sound catty, but I'm going to ask you to say it here, and then we'll be able to track it and see how it plays out. Yeah, so my my NYCFC prediction, VSP is the, uh, that's difficult to say. It is, that's soup right there. Good yeah, gravy. that is a large acronym. Um, yeah, is that James Sands is going to be back at NYCFC in the summer. Uh, his move to Rangers, I, I, look, it's still very, very early days, but Rangers have kind of ended up in this really, really tight title race with Celtic. And so there isn't really much opportunity for squad rotation and he's just not playing that much. Um, so yeah, that's an 18-month loan deal, I think. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's back in the Bronx by this summer. Do you have a, a specific date in mind for when he returns or is it just sort of general? Um, I didn't, but let's just say, no, say I don't know, July. Say general, Graham. It, uh, it helps, it helps. 
<laughs> July 5th. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and say that, that your James Sands NYC FC uh, VSP is TBD. There we go. There we go. I got through it eventually after having to set myself up for it. That was good. I'm going to move us swiftly away from anything that involves me talking. Instead, let's have Joe Lowry talk about the New York Red Bulls. The Red Bulls finished seventh in the East last season, lost in the first round of the playoffs. Had a couple of key departures. Maybe the, the biggest one of all is Sean Davis, who was signed by Nashville in free agency. So that leaves the Red Bulls without their captain and without a, a real stalwart in central midfield. They lost Fabio and a couple other players as well. But they have some key arrivals to, to try and supplement some of those positions. They traded for Lewis Morgan from Miami. Taylor, you mentioned that earlier. Caden Clark is back after the most mls transaction of all time. Aaron Long is healthy. He's another one of those sort of new additions but was already rostered but just coming back from injury situations. And, and maybe the most high-profile international addition is the signing of Luquinas from uh, from Legia Warsaw as a designated player. 25-year-old Brazilian, good right foot, can play as a 10 or out wide. Don't really know how good he's going to be in Major League Soccer, but he is someone who is capable of turning their pressing into attacking chances, at least on paper. And, and to get into how they'll play under Gerhard Struber, it is going to be exactly what I just said. Press, press, press. Struber loves to press. We could see that coming from a number of different shapes. It might be a three at the back, like a 3-4-3. Three, three. It could be a back four and a, and a couple of different midfield and forward alignments. Either way, expect direct play and lots of aggressive pressure. My player to watch is Luquinas, slightly below average chance creation team last year, the Red Bulls, finishing 16th in the league in expected goals. Maybe this signing can help turn some of their pressing actions into real chances, which has been certainly missing from them. I'll mention another player here. John Tolkien, left wing back or left back, can even shift centrally at times if he needs to. He's a talented player in that spot. I like some of what I've seen from him. Young American player. Not likely at all to break into the U.S. team uh, until after the 2022 World Cup, but still someone certainly for U.S. international-minded people to, to pay attention to. Christian Caceres in midfield as well, and, and I mentioned Morgan up top, Caden Clark, someone I like too. There's talent on this team. My prediction, though, fellas, is a straightforward one, just as I feel this Red Bull team is pretty straightforward. No team will press more in the final third than the New York Red Bulls. They led the league in, in, in pressures in the attacking third last year. They actually hadn't in the couple of seasons before that. But I certainly expect them under Struber to repeat that feat again. They will press more and record more pressures. Really, that's how I'm going to measure this. They'll record more pressures in the attacking third than any other team in Major League Soccer this season. Joe, do you know much about Lewis Morgan in terms of his pressing ability? Is that a reason why they wanted to get him? Or was that more about his delivery? I think a little bit of both. Morgan is a high-energy player. He can play really both ways to, to use, a, I guess, basketball terminology. That's not even basketball terminology. I don't know what terminology. I think that. that's football. Yeah, okay. He is a guy who has played right wing back and right wing for Miami in the past. Graham, I'm, I'm sure, knows more than, more than a little about him as well. Hmm. But he's, mm-hmm. he's energetic. He's aggressive on the dribble. He's vertical. I think he fits stylistically exactly what the Red Bulls want. He hasn't been all that effective for Miami in the past, but I think that's more to do with the, the situation there than really his talent or his skill set. So I like Lewis Morgan, and that is certainly a player that I'm going to be keeping close. Uh, I'm going to be paying close attention to for Struber and the Red Bulls this year. And and last question for you, Joe, for me. Who is the player for the Red Bulls that you think, like, uh, if a neutral is watching them, who would be the most interesting for whatever reason? It could be somebody who's just exceptionally good at pressing and really aggressive. It could be the goal scorer or a creator. But who would you keep an eye on with the Red Bulls? Uh, probably Morgan and Laquinas okay. for me. I, I think those two are likely to play maybe underneath a number nine in, in Klamala maybe for the Red Bulls, or they could be a little wider, and, and Morgan could be wider, and Laquinas could be central. I don't know exactly how they're going to line up, but those two players are, I think, going to catch the neutral's eye. 
All right, that is the New York Red Bulls. Let's head south of New York, far south, to Florida and Orlando City with Graham Ruffin. Thank you. So, Orlando City, a team You're that welcome. I actually, um, I don't know if I've ever said this in the pod, but I uh, keep an eye out for the results. I've been to two or three of their games. I and my, me and my family have been to Florida more times than Florida Man himself. <laughs> and uh, so don't don't at me. Brits, Brits love Florida. Ryan Bailey will attest to that as as well. But yeah, Orlando City in 2021, they had a, another respectable year qualifying for the, for the playoffs for the second time. Um, in as many seasons however they're knocked out in in the first round of the playoffs by Nashville and there was a general sense that their their results and performances in 2021 weren't as good as they were in 2020 maybe because they didn't play half their games at Disney World as they did in 2020 there have been some changes to the roster over the offseason most notably in attack so Nani is gone he returned to Europe to sign for Venezia so that's a pretty sizable hole in their attack uh, Daryl DK, he finally made the permanent move to Europe, signing for West Brom in January. And then there was Chris Muller as well, another attacking figure. He left Orlando to go to Hibernian in, in Scotland. So that's three, certainly two starters and three quality attackers leaving Orlando ahead of the new season. So that is, that's pretty much the headline of their offseason as they've had to rebuild their attack. Um, in terms of arrivals, Fagundo Torres, he has arrived with a pretty big reputation. Orlando's new ownership group, they've they've paid $7.5 million uh, for him from Penarol. He's going to be the new centrepiece of that Orlando attack. You would, you would expect him to be the new centrepiece anyway. He is going to be a key figure. He's only 21 years old, um, so that's quite a bit of pressure for him, but he is very, very highly thought of. Orlando, there's a quote from Orlando, one of the the front office staff, maybe their general manager, saying that they believe Torres is a, is a top three young talent in South America. That might be hyperbole, but it also says a lot about why they've paid $7.5 million for him. Um, they have also signed Erkan Karov, a centre-forward from Rapid Vienna, to replace uh, DK. Is basically every Rapid Vienna attacker in MLS this season. It kind of seems that way. Uh, he is, Kara is an out-and-out centre-forward who got seven goals and 19 assists and eight, uh, 84 appearances for Rapid Vienna. So, not, not the best stats, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, it feels like he, he could be a, a shrewd addition for this Orlando team. Um, Cesar Arajo has been signed from Montevideo Wanderers, which, by the way, is an incredible team name, uh, Montevideo Wanderers. I need to get a shirt for, for them. He's a Uruguayan central midfielder, still only 20 years old. So Orlando, certainly with their two additions from Uruguay and, uh, and Torres and Arajo, they've gone for youth. And it feels like that is a, that's a pretty fundamental shift for this franchise. You know, Previously, they've maybe gone for guys like Nani and going way back to guys like Kaka, who are aging stars, and now they're maybe taking a leaf out of the Atlanta or the LAFC playbook and going to South America and signing, putting big money into into young players. In terms of how they're going to play, maybe maybe I can pass to Joe a little bit on this one if he's got any further ideas on this. But I think it kind of depends on how the new guys get integrated into this team. As I say, they've they've basically got a whole new attack under Pereja. Uh, uh, Pereja Orlando have a, a good centre back pairing in Carlos and, and Jansen. They have good central midfield protection, so that gives them a good basis from which to build. But last season the attack didn't really work for them. So it's difficult to have them down as an attacking team. But if Torres works out and Cara starts firing some goals and uh, Perea links up with them all, there's potential for Orlando to become a slightly different team, an inherently attack-minded and, and dynamic side. So it's it's difficult to know, sitting here before the season starts, how they are going to be 
as a team. The player to watch that I've got it has to be has to be Torres. Um, as I say, he's highly highly thought of, and uh, he's he's a winger who is best on his left foot, capable of playing on either wing. And I think this Orlando team should be set up reasonably well to harness him. So I think if he's fit. And if he has some early confidence, he's going to be key for them right from the start. My VSP, again, is, is a slightly tricky one because I, I'm not entirely sure how the new guys are going to gel with the existing group for Orlando City. Um, I'm not even ter- entirely sure what they're going to be in terms of their, their identity as a team. But my hunch about this group is it's going to take some time, most notably in attack. Nani and DK both hit double figures for Orlando last season. I'm not overly convinced they get two players in double figures this season. Um, and so couple that with their, their good defensive records and an attack that I'm not entirely sure is going to be firing this season. My VSP is that Orlando are going to finish the regular season with a goal difference of zero. They finished with Ooh. plus two last season. So not too far away from that already. And I think once you take Nani and DK out of those out of that roster who did put up decent numbers and you put in a few untested youngsters who I think you're looking to season two for them maybe to really come good. Yeah, goal difference of zero is my VSP. Joe like that one. I do. It's just such a creative idea. I kind of wish I'd thought of that for somebody. And Orlando could do it, right? Grim, I, I like a lot of your reasoning there. All right. I mean, I mean, I don't know if Orlando fans will love that one, but uh, we'll see what happens with the attack. The defense will be. They've a got a good shirt this year. They can't have okay. everything. All right. Well, that's fair. As long as they have the shirt, that's what matters. Uh, I don't have much to say about the Philadelphia Union uh, kit. Graham is going to tell us about the best five kits or three kits at least in uh, the Eastern Conference later on. So maybe Philly will be there. Maybe they won't be. Uh, as always, Philadelphia Union not a big spending club, more so a smart spending specialist. When last we saw them, second in the East, made it to the conference final. Uh, COVID made them shorthanded. Did not go well for them there. But one game away from making MLS Cup, and it seems like that is very much their goal this season. Even though they've lost Casper uh, Shabir. Bilko was their leading goal scorer, third highest goal scorer in MLS since his first game in 2019 over that time period. So Shabilko is a major departure. Uh, Jamiro Montero, uh, also a big one, traded to San Jose for 250000 in GAM. Shabilko was traded to Chicago for $1.15 million. Montero, from what I understand, is more of a player that they were already trying to move on, had tried to last season. There's some off-field stuff, so I think more happy to have him go. Shabilko wanted a long-term deal. They weren't ready to offer that, so I think he leaves with positive vibes. And then there are direct replacements. Uh, Michael Ura, I think is how I'm supposed to pronounce it, uh, center forward and designated player, player of the year in Denmark, won the league with Bronby, got the golden boot as well, still has not received his P1 visa. Uh, He is another player who is waiting on that so he hasn't been there for preseason but is expected to get that visa and will be a key contributor slash starter for Jim Curtin's Philadelphia Union another one uh Julian Carranza uh center forward designated player from Inter Miami the last two seasons still only 21 years old uh it's a loan with an option to purchase and he wasn't as impressive for Miami. There's Miami reasons for that. There's also the idea that he wasn't played through the middle, which is where he wants to be. So I would assume that we will get uh, Ura and Carranza starting up top at some point. But to start the season, I'm thinking it's maybe Sergio Santos and Carranza, maybe Corey Burke in there as well. How Philly like to play? It's Jim Curtin. It's a 4-4-2 diamond. It's aggressive pressing. It's everybody running all over the place uh, and being pretty good at doing that. Uh, Leon Flock will uh, continue to play in the midfield. Ale Bedoya partnering him as well. Uh, Jose Martinez anchoring in the number six. Jacob Glesnes and Jack Elliott 
a strong center back pairing, both of them signing contract extensions. So we would expect a strong spine. And of course, that is anchored by Andre Blake, one of, if not the best goalkeepers in Major League Soccer. I love me some Andre Blake. My specific prediction, Michael Ura may not score more. I think he will, but I think he will have better shots on target percentage than Shabilko. So he may end up scoring more goals than Shabilko did last season. But I think the bigger thing will be that he will take his chances more effectively because that seems to have been a thing with Shabilko. Only had 46.8% of his shots on target, 12 goals on 62 shots. Uh, Ura, I think, historically has done significantly better with some of those. Uh, I think Bronby this season, uh, 11 goals in 34 shots. So tends to put his shots on frame, tends to create some goals, and it takes about as half as many shots uh, to make that happen. So I think it will end up being a smart signing. If and when he gets that visa, uh, Michael Ura will have a better shot percentage than Shibilko. Um, and with my remaining 15 seconds, I will just say uh, that they are also going to continue to be the union in that they will pull through young depth. That includes Paxton Aronson, who can create. That includes uh, Quinn Sullivan and Jack McGlynn, the lefty. Uh, some young players who will be integral to this team as well. I think that's plenty of Philadelphia Union. Joe Lowry, you want to talk about our final Eastern Conference team, Toronto FC? Toronto FC finished 13th in the Eastern Conference last season. I sound cheerful, but they were really, really bad. They were they were really bad under Chris Amos to start the year and then under Perez as the interim coach after Amos was fired. They made some real changes this offseason, gentlemen. Jefferson Soteldo is moved to Tigres. Richie Larea sold to Nottingham Forest. Aro is off to Santos in Brazil. Josie Altador was bought out and now moved to New England. We've discussed some of those moves already, but those are a, a lot of key departures for them. But key rivals as well, fellas. Bob Bradley is probably the biggest one, at least for the start of this season. Former LAFC manager, everybody knows him. He's going to be key to this team's success in, in 2022. I really believe that. Carlos Salcedo, who was involved in the other half of that Soteldo move, they swapped from Toronto to Tigres. He'll be a presence at the back for them. And the biggest name in terms of players... Lorenzo Insigne, who's coming in the summer, he'll join in July. We've talked about him plenty in the past. Allocation disorder has as well. I don't really need to get into much Insigne, at least right now. But I expect that, that tactically, Bob Bradley's going to take this team and turn it into exactly what he wants. It might take some time, but I expect we're going to see a lot of LAFC in this team. Now, there's a couple of challenges with that, a couple of big challenges with that. If we assume it's going to be a 4-3-3 shape, which is not necessarily fair, but it helps provide a baseline for this conversation there's a lack of midfield depth right now outside of Jonathan Osorio. Let me, let me put it this way, actually. There's a lack of midfield aggression outside of Jonathan Osorio. Ba, uh, Michael Bradley, excuse me, doesn't have a whole lot left in the tank in terms of ground coverage. Alejandro Pozuelo, an MVP-type talent with the ball at his feet, but it hasn't really been asked to do a lot of pressing and aggressive movement. Even under Chris Armas, that, that whole vision that Armas supposedly had fell flat on its face. So not a lot's happened there in midfield. So that's an area of concern for me and a lack of real quality out wide until Insigne gets here, both at the winger position, but also in the fullback spots. They've lost Lorea and they've lost Auro. Who's, who's in those roles? I don't really know that they have a ton of established players that can do that job right now. So those issues, the midfield and, and the talent out wide are big things. That's like 70% of your team or 60% of your team. So I think that could lead to a pretty slow start for Toronto FC, at least until they get some added depth in as the year progresses. The player to watch clearly is Insigne once he gets here. Until then, it's Iowa Canola for me. Missed most of last year with injury, but scored nine goals in 1,000 minutes in 2020. Moves really well in the box, times his runs to get him behind. He's a dangerous presence up top. I'm hoping we'll get to see a full year from the Canadian International this season in Toronto. My VSP 
ladies and gentlemen. Toronto FC will mostly be below the playoff line until August, but will sneak into the postseason once their reinforcements arrive. This is a pretty big gamble because, as I mentioned, there's massive gaps in this team right now. But Insigne is a game breaker. Uh, And if they're able to get a little more depth in some of the spots that I mentioned, I think Bob Bradley and some of the pieces they brought in this offseason and some of the pieces they already had could make this Toronto team very dangerous. But I'm not expecting them to be all that effective on the field until later in the year. Joe, I have a a question for you about Toronto that I I don't really want to ask. It's going to make me sad. It did make me sad when I heard the extra time uh, gentleman discussing it, but I'll ask you anyway. Do you think there's a, or how strong is the chance that uh, U.S. fans at the end of the season or midway through the season are slightly more regretful that we did not end up getting uh, Io Akinola playing for the United States instead of Canada? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be talk of that. But I mean, that's, that's where the U.S. is right now. There's no defined number nine. So anyone that's having a good season, I mean, people are clamoring for Jordan Pifak to be the U.S. number one <laughs> right true. now because he's scoring, he's scoring goals in Switzerland. So there, I mean, there's so much happening right now. Yeah, Akinola is going to be a player that the U.S. regrets, just like Jonathan David. I don't think Akinola is Jonathan David or that good. But yeah, Taylor, to answer your question, for sure. And, and do you think, like, there's the obvious assumption that, like, Bob Bradley is there. Michael Bradley is there. That they're going to work together. They're going to be best pals. But there's also an argument that maybe if you want to get that midfield functioning the way Bob Bradley probably does, they're a little bit long in the tooth. Some of those midfielders. Do you see Michael Bradley being an an important part of this team? Do you see him being an important substitute, or is there a chance we see him sort of pivoting into coaching under his dad? Uh, I think he's going to be a big part of this team this season. You think about how he structured Bob Bradley structures LAFC midfield. Eduard Atuesta was a key part of that, and he's not a really hyper-aggressive, mobile kind of guy. He's a deep-lying playmaker, and that's what Michael Bradley is at this point in his career. I don't think we'll see him play 3,000 minutes or maybe even 2,000 or 2,500, but he'll be a regular starter for them through sections of this season. I think he's going to bring value to that midfield group. All right, so that is Toronto FC. That is the Eastern Conference, gentlemen. We rolled right through that one, talked about a lot, but we have not yet talked about the best kits. Graham Ruffin, I know you've done some studying. I'm going to assume you've done more research into the kits than you have some of the teams we've talked about. So I turn it to you to let us know. Who did it well? And maybe who didn't do it that well? So that is entirely accurate. I have, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot more research <laughs> on some teams and, and the kits than, than the teams themselves. The first thing to say is this year is a lot better from Adidas than it has been in recent years. The days of the plain white tees, they're, they're gone and clubs are trying new things. Some of those things haven't worked, worked but I'd, I'd much rather have weird and bad shirts than bland and bad shirts. So that's that's the first thing to say is there's a lot more creativity across the league. So my top three are Orlando City away. I kind of teased that one earlier. That is definitely one shirt that, that does work. It's the best jersey in MLS in, as a whole for me this year. I love the purple rays of sunshine that turn into gold the further you get up the shirt. I think it looks really clean as well. So that's my number one. Enter Miami home. The fact that it's pink is enough to elevate this jersey all on its own. This is how Enter Miami should have looked from the start. Beckham, <laughs> it's all on you. This is your fault. So make up for lost time. It looks a lot better that now that it's pink. And then um, we've got to say something nice about Charlotte, don't Do we? we? <laughs> I think Charlotte FC home is my number three. Really clean and fresh design. Um, I think it largely stands out because of the shade of blue. And that is something new in MLS. Like when I always think a good 
the good sign of a good identity for a club is if you turn on the TV and you can tell who's yeah. playing without looking at the box score. And Charlotte have that. When you turn on the TV and they're in their home shirts, you're going to know it's Charlotte. There's no other team that plays in that colour. So I like that for Charlotte as well. And then honourable mention to the NYC FC away shirt. I'm I'm not sure the execution is all that great. It, it could have been better without the kind of spray paint element, which I know is uh, kind of a, a nod to the Bronx and NY, uh, New York culture and everything. But... I'm delighted that Adidas are trying some weird things with some of the jerseys. Plus, the Cooligans were in the yeah, promo video and that instantly made, makes the, the jersey good. So, shout out to the Cooligans. Uh, the Cooligans will be making their return appearance to the Total Soccer Show uh, next week. We're going to talk about the documentary they made about their time in England. So, I'm sure they'll talk about being in that video uh, at great length. Graham, were there any that you didn't particularly enjoy or do you just want to leave it positive instead of negative? Uh, I'll name a couple that weren't so great for me in the Eastern Conference. I, the Atlanta one is a bit strange for me. The kind of mint green, which seems seems to have been a, a common theme throughout the league. Charlotte have got a mint green shirt. Austin have a mint green shirt, um, which is is I really like that one. But for Atlanta, mint green doesn't really scream like Atlanta United to me. And then the the Montreal uh, kind of marble shirt is a straight ripoff of the away shirt that Arsenal had a couple of seasons ago, which in itself is not actually a bad design. But the fact that it's a bit of a ripoff, I mark it down for that. So there's two that I'm not so keen on. Is is the Charlotte jersey not sort of also an Arsenal knockoff, just with blue instead of red? Like it looks very Arsenal to me. If you swap those colors, yeah, it is. It is. It is a little bit of an Arsenal ripoff in terms of that collar. I think Arsenal yeah. had that collar a couple of years ago, but I really like that blue. So. I'm ignoring right. that uh, and using my creative <laughs> license to do so. All right, Charlotte FC, Graham is defending you. Send him a kit. It's deserved. I'm assuming that's what this whole segment is about, is Graham trying oh, to Oh, entirely, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Send me all your freebies. <laughs> Joe, would you also like freebies? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, all please. Right. Please send Joe me Lowry things. gets freebies too. <laughs> all the other jerseys that, that weren't mentioned by Graham, Joe thinks are the best. So send Joe those. Yes. That's how it works. Yep, that'll work. Well, gentlemen, uh, I would love to stay in chat, but I need to go preview the Western Conference. I'm guessing maybe – I'm guessing Graham does. Joe, I feel like you had the previews done like six weeks ago somehow. Uh, but So I will just say, Joe Lowry, thank you for uh, taking all of the time to talk about the Eastern Conference with me today. Right back at you. Graham Ruffin, thank you for doing the same and adding in some kit conversation as well. No problem at all. It was good fun. And Taylor, thank you to Taylor. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We will talk to you all again tomorrow with the Western Conference.